Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. I think I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God. And, uh, and on that topic of worship and the place of worship in the kingdom of God, there's a psalm that has this one line. It says that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. Uh, others might say he inhabits the praises of his people. I believe it's because from memory that the Hebrew word there is a particular word that means that the Lord sits. He like takes a seat. And you may be surprised to learn that that actually is in Psalm 22. If you don't know what that psalm is, turn to the end of the Gospels, uh, which I can't rightly now know which one, but but it's where Jesus quotes the first line and he's on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A few verses down in that, he says, Yet... You're enthroned on the praises of your people. And the reason why I want to bring that to your attention is for two reasons. One, there's, there's this reality that takes place in the praise of God. But also, I want you to see very clearly the circumstances in which that was prayed. The kingdom of God is a, is a, is a reality. It's a spiritual reality. Some people like to think that the kingdom of God is an open license to satisfy all your earthly desires. Unfortunately, that's not true. But it is a spiritual reality and it's a reality out of which we live. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, what you're saying is the one whom you cannot see has the authority over your life and that actually has an impact in the way it manifests in your living. Why else would you call Jesus Lord if it didn't. The idea that Jesus would be Lord of your life and that actually it, it doesn't change your circumstances or it doesn't change, not necessarily your circumstances, it doesn't change who you are and the way you see and the way you operate, uh, to me it just doesn't make sense. So when someone's head is full of this and yet there's no transformation, it tells me that all they've done is filled their head and they've never met the one of whom it speaks. I think perhaps... I was given a special grace because I became a Christian when I was an adult, 28, and uh, firmly set in the way I thought things worked, quite happy to uh, criticise and cajole and make fun of Christians. They needed something to lean on, a crux. I'm sure you've heard that before. The irony of the fact that none of us can walk straight. (laughs) We need something to lean on and we're all grasping for something. We're all trying to figure things out. And yet it's, it's interesting how the Lord with his children will take them on a journey to understand what it means to lean on him. Because he is the only one who is steadfast. He is the rock. The kingdom. In Romans 14, Paul is talking to, uh, into a situation where they're wondering about what they do with food sacrifice to idols and food laws and things like that. And he gets to this, the end of this discussion, just trying to outline a few things. And he says that the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you're ever wondering what the kingdom is about, 
The kingdom is a, is a reign of God. And first and foremost, it is characterized by righteousness and then peace and then joy in the Holy Spirit. Not apart from the Holy Spirit, but in. In the Holy Spirit. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. And if you don't get that about the kingdom, you probably won't get much else. Because that's where it comes out of. That's, that's the founding reign. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And obviously, you know, how do you have joy in the Holy Spirit when there's no peace in your life? Everyone knows when there's no peace in your life, it's actually not fun. It's uncomfortable. If you've got no peace, it's just like chaotic. It's very hard to be joyful. But how do you have peace unless you are right with God? So it's not just that it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's actually, there's an ordering. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. What has that got to do with Psalm 22? There's a tendency for humans to want to try and create their circumstances to manufacture things like peace and joy, right? I mean, if you're feeling restless or you're upset about things, you try and get away or you shut yourself up in your home and or you've got thoughts that thoughts are really disturbing you. So you're in the car and you just like you don't want to hear what's going on. So you turn on the radio. You're trying to manage your circumstances by dealing with the things that are around you. And you'll notice that in, in other religions they have ways of meditation and uh, ways of moving their body through physical activity. And it's all about trying to get the A, the body to shut up. <laughs> because uh, you know how much your body screams at you, especially when you get hungry or you're cold or <laughs> it just is talking, yap, yap, yap all the time. So they do this through a physical means and then they're trying to silence their mind. But it's all through their own uh, effort and it's trying to create an environment that is essentially mimicking this idea of I feel right with myself, I'm at peace and I've got joy. You'll find there's a counterfeit to all this stuff in the world. It always is. One of the things I think that indicate the fact that God is true is there's so much of his counterfeit out there. <laughs> there's counterfeit spirituality, there's counterfeit spiritual, counterfeit or whatever. We'll move on from that. Just thought I was getting a bit distracted, that's all. The, um, so, but you'll notice in Psalm 22 that Jesus is talking about enthroning that God is enthroned in the praises of a people and he's in circumstances that clearly are, or at least the psalmist here, the way it's reflected through Jesus, are clearly are subpar. This is not a peaceful, joyful situation. And I think what it shows you is that the reality of the kingdom is actually got often very little to do with your circumstances. Righteousness, peace and joy are not dictated to you by circumstances. So the Christian who grows up into maturity of the faith is someone who can actually walk in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit not because of their circumstances but despite them. That's maturity. That's maturity in the faith. I get to practice this every day that I get into my car. 
Just yesterday, I had the blessing of someone who decided to, as the light went green, stop about 20 metres before it, when you're anticipating it. We were moving, by the way. He just stopped in the middle of the road. So uh, you, you felt the whiplash, boom, like breaking, and then you heard my horn go. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... <sighs> so then we, <laughs> we go around the corner. I'm like, okay, that's okay, it's okay. Just, this guy obviously doesn't know where... We turn off into the shopping centre. Now, the shopping centre has a wide bend that goes to the left and a, a, a road that goes straight. This person hasn't indicated, but they've moved their car into the turn-off. So I'm like, okay. So I move past. The next thing I knew, the car is beside me, trying to head down the same road they decided had not to go down two seconds earlier. <laughs> you know. Oh, don't you love it? It's, uh, and I, I don't know if it's Perth. Uh, I've driven in other places. I think Perth... Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. That's good. <laughs> Gee, that's not good, actually. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and it's, it may seem like trivial things, but what, what I've found over the years is that driving for me is uh, like a litmus test for where I'm at. And I can guarantee if I get up in the morning and I, and I have that moment with the God just to, I guess, centre my day and be with him and be ministered to by him and I go out and drive, I can guarantee you I will get to work in a much more peaceful state than if I didn't. Guaranteed. Or if I feel like my world has got a lot going on and there's a lot of stress, things are mounting up, I can tell because my drive is losing its peace. Why? Because I feel like somehow I'm losing a side of the fact that um, the Holy Spirit is the one who is righteousness, peace and joy. That's the nature of the kingdom. But somehow I'm starting to, I don't know, lean on something else. Allow worry to seep in. Allow these concerns to start playing away. And, and some, you know, we don't know that they're happening sometimes. You can just be moving into a season or a time where things are just changing and not be fully cognizant of the emotional physical, mental impact, spiritual impact it's having on you. And it's the grace of God that he actually has given us Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is there to quicken us, to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, to be our strengthener and stand by. This is the amazing gift that God, the very Spirit of God himself abides in us that we might be people who can walk in an abiding state. So what happens with the drive is I have learned very quickly that yes, it might incite me to anger, <laughs> But the Lord says, in anger, do not sin. And that's the, that's the tricky bit. So I have decided the fact that I don't trust myself with my anger because I don't know any human that can be trusted with anger. Do you? So what the Lord has been teaching me over the years is how to look at these things differently and ask a different question. Because what's going on there is I feel like he's being selfish. He's being um, inconsiderate. He's... Paying no attention to me. <laughs> He's in his own little world. Maybe he was Nicky just coming away from the hospital. So of course he's like clueless. Maybe he's a foreigner and he's come to this country to start a new life and he is struggling with a world that is so different to where he's come from 
maybe even driving on the other side of the road, not familiar with traffic signs, still you know, learning the language, just a mountain of stuff. And like we all do, get a brain snap in the middle of driving along and trying to find his way home or to the shop. You know, asking a different question is a very powerful tool to turn your attention off what's going on inside of you and what the Lord thinks about the situation and how to continue to shift from this place where we are outside that reign of God, which is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis and getting back into it. Because the reality is, in a world that we are currently experiencing, if you, if you go back to Dave's message, the first one he talked about, brand new beginnings, brand new openings. One of the things that he spoke about in there is that with all this chaos and, and the COVID-19, it just exposed and laid bare the hearts of the world. And people are asking all sorts of questions. But when he got down to it, he said it won't be sufficient to have an answer. There must be a demonstration. If you ask me what's been the problem with the church, I think people think that there's been a problem with the church and granted we are not perfect, we've not done it well in certain areas, we've done it well in others. But if people are asking that question, what do we need? Well, for those of you who are here, when I spoke about holiness, it's all about the presence of God. People need to encounter him. And they can't encounter him if you haven't come into a place where you, your natural state of being is something other than the kingdom of God. Because if I had got out of that car and, and given him my two bits worth about what I thought about his driving, how much of the kingdom of God do you think he's getting? <laughs> Zero. Yeah, He's getting a whole lot of other stuff that he probably doesn't need to hear. And to be frank, it's a whole lot of gunk that doesn't need to be in me either. And I just thank the Lord that it is not about my faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness. It's not about me being so gracious and merciful. It's actually that he has given me the Holy Spirit to continue me on that journey so that I can be gracious and merciful. Because the reality is, you leave me to my own devices, it's not going to happen. It'll happen with some people. Possibly the people that I like. <laughs> or I've noticed, maybe this is just my own learning, the people who have nothing. Do you know, I have found it very easy, relatively speaking, to sit on, with someone on the street or in a drop-in shelter than it has to sit with some of the people in the high places that have a lot of money and a lot of status and standing. Something in me just... Because if you're of the world... That's, that's what you take pride in. That's, you think you're something because you've created an empire of your own. You think you've somehow you deserve to be treated in a certain way because you've managed to earn an income that's tenfold the person that's serving you at the restaurant. I think one of the... I don't know about hard. I remember being at a restaurant... And seeing this take place, where I knew the person who was considerably wealthy, and uh, obviously, I think it was his wife next to him, had been given a meal, it was salmon, and it was 
undercooked. So in the first instance, he got angry. He demanded the waitress. He said, take that back. It's not cooked right. Went away. It came back and apparently it wasn't right again. And what unfolded to me was embarrassing. But the shame that it brought on that waitress and on his wife and amongst the other things that took place, you could tell that the restaurant all of a sudden just had that awkward silence and things were not nice. All because this guy thinks that his place in the world means that he can demand whatever he wants and if he doesn't get it, he has the right to punish and shame and judge those who are serving him. I know we're not like that. We're not supposed to be like that. But we can be like that. Maybe not to that extreme, but what I've discovered in the 20 years I've been walking with the Lord that as he takes away the outer extremes, the obvious sins in your life, he starts digging a little deeper. To the point where a single thought can come into your mind. A simple example, I'll come home from work uh, and then for all of you who've had young kids, um, what happens, this is a really good lesson for someone who doesn't have kids and is not married. When you get there and you'll be in the habit of coming home from work and chilling out and doing your own thing. Just, <laughs> yeah, Aaron knows where I'm going. So my son, my oldest son, he's turning six in August. And one of the things that, A, shocked me, and B, that I had to quickly come to terms with, is that when I pull up in the driveway, as a man of God, I actually have to walk in and step up, not sit down. And if you've ever looked up to kids, I've got, I love it, I've got the kids, I've taken two weeks off because Claire started work, so I'm doing the parent thing. And I'm really loving it, but it's really funny how as soon as Claire walks in the door, what do you think I want to do? All I want to do is stop. I've been with these kids all day. I've cooked the clean. Dinner's on the table. I'm done. That's what I want to do. And I'm looking at the other side of this and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if Claire thinks that every time I walk in from work when, you know, despite what goes in my day, I actually have a, I have a pretty peaceful job, you know. So I, the reality is work doesn't rattle me anything like kids do. Any parent knows that kids will push and prod and test you in ways that you never thought possible. The training for the kingdom of God doesn't start and end when you get married. It's like it just amplifies and progresses. <laughs> So if you're not established in righteous peace and joy right now, I'm focusing because you guys all look pretty young and full of energy and yeah, sort everything out with the Lord while you can. <laughs> get it sorted, get it done, get established because I guarantee you that will give you the best marriage you can ever want for. There is nothing better than you can do than get your heart sorted because when you are in that marriage... If you come in with peace, especially you guys, 
Peace will reign in your marriage and you will have a joyful, peaceful house marriage and it will be one of the best testimonies you can give to the world. You will bear witness to the glory of God simply by being a family of peace and righteousness and joy and unity. You know, we're in a world that has decided, with all this uncertainty, the shifting, changing currents, one of the the things that has shifted in the last 20 years, or even the last six, last, hang on, 2016, there was an interesting publication by one of the dictionaries, I think Macquarie Dictionaries in, uh, it was a new word, it's called post-trust, post-truth. Anytime there's a publication, it's obviously a term that's being used. And, you know, we thought we were in a postmodern world, but apparently we're in a post-trust, uh, post-truth world. And the argument goes that postmodern was a rejection of the idea that truth was objective. And uh, so no such thing as truth, everything is relative. But what they're saying now is we're into a place where, yeah, truth exists, but what supersedes or exalts that is feeling. An opinion. You couple that with this this spirit or idea of autonomy in our culture, and you start to understand why this culture is just spiraling into a place that we're so unfamiliar with, and actually is rapidly um, enlarging the gap between what people thought was a Christian nation and to what is actually happening in our culture. Autonomy is a word, it's a composite word that comes from Greek. Autos, autos is self, nomos is law. You put them together, you have self-law. In other words, what it's saying is, the culture of the age is now one, whereby we are a law unto ourselves. Or you define the laws by which your world operates. So what the world is teaching and promoting and, uh, and saying, the underlying spirit is saying that you can define reality for yourself. It's not a new idea. It's not a new spirit. This is, in fact, the very thing that was going on in the Garden of Eden. Man and woman are there. God's put a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've read a number of different commentaries on this, and one of the things I've found most fascinating, there was a Jewish commentary that talked about this idea of that tree being a fusion. In other words, to eat of it was to fuse good and evil together. Let me put it another way. It was to redefine what good and evil are. It was to become a law unto yourself. That's been the fundamental thing throughout the ages. People wanting to define it. Redefine good and evil. In other words, to say what is good is evil and evil is good. To say that marriage is a holy matrimony between a man and woman before God is apparently an evil thing to say. To say that man and woman, are, well, God created humans, male and female, sex and gender, is apparently an evil thing in our culture. Now, I don't want to discount the trauma and the suffering that goes on with people who struggle with those things. But in the last... Uh, so 2017, we had the marriage referendum. 
So even before that, so it just seems like in the last five or six years, all of a sudden, people have redefined what it means to be human at the most fundamental level of family and sexuality and gender. Where your sexuality is no longer connected to your gender. It's been decoupled. So now sexuality is a social construct, which is why now you can look at the uh, Royal College of is it Psychiatry in UK, they say there's officially six different genders. If you, if you look at Facebook, apparently there's 58 options. Uh, there was a study by Queensland University of Tech last year that listed something like 112 different genders. Why? Because people can define reality for themselves. How are we supposed to live and move and have our being in this world when everything around us is not just shifting away from the comfortable Christendom that we've had in the Western culture for, well, since Constantine essentially made it an official religion of the Roman Empire back in the 4th century. I don't think the church has really come to understand that we are not at the centre. We, we have become irrelevant to culture. And my... My concern is the church is even becoming irrelevant to itself because they think that tradition is somehow the thing that is, gives them life. And they've been taught how to live a Christian but not how to be Christ-like and to understand the ways of God and to walk in the righteousness, peace and joy of the Holy Spirit which is the reality of the reign of God in people's lives. There's different analogies to this. There's the, the one about building a house on a storm and a rock in Matthew chapter 7. And you've got the storm come and the house that's built on sand gets swept away and the house that's built on rock stands. Now, it's important to note that firstly, the person who builds their life on the rock is the one who builds it on the word of God. But it's not the education of the word. It's, it's a coming to a personal knowledge of it, that it actually becomes alive for you, that it transforms you. And if that's a struggle for you, just go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says that the word of God is alive and active. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, uh, Father, Son and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, there's... There's got to be the Spirit of God on the Word in order to be alive and active in your life. It's alive and active. It divides between spirit, soul and body to the deepest parts of your nature. It divides, sifts, analyzes and judges the very thoughts and purposes of your heart. So when you come to this, one of the things that happens as you start to build yourself on this Word is that it dissects you. And God in His grace is doing this because He's trying to get to the depths of our being and our heart to ensure that we are grounded in Him not in the circumstances of our lives, not in the things that we think are right and good, but on his holy word and that it is alive, that it is anchor to who we are. So here's the storm. So, but you'll notice also that it's, if you build your house on a rock, you won't get hit by a storm. You're still going to get buffeted, but the thing is, your internal world, your foundation will remain strong. It'll be a place of shelter. But what's going on outside of you <laughs> could be a whole lot of buffeting and wind and storm and beating your house. 
But when you're established in God, in that place of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, it actually has a, this weird feeling like you're sitting in the center of a storm and you're just watching the wind. <laughs> you know how they talk about the center of a storm? The eye? This eerie peace that exists? That's another picture for you to understand what it means to come into a place where you can exist in this world where it's not just that things are going changing, they're going at a rapid rate. It's like a whirlwind of change that's happening. How are you going to present by being a man of God or a woman of God founded in his word and your natural state of being is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whatever else is going on in your life, God is the rock for you. So how does that relate to praise? Well, this is kind of the crux of what I want to get to. The reason I love that verse that says God is enthroned in the praises of his people is because there's something that happens in the engagement of our language and our body and our song that causes God to sit. His presence just plonk. To be enthroned. So what's going on there? Well, to praise God is to do two fundamental things. To worship him is to acknowledge who he is and what he has done. If those two things aren't in worship, it's not worship, as far as I'm concerned. You might be praying for stuff in song, that's fine, but that's not worship. You might be crying out for what you want and you need, sure, but it's not worship. Worship is acknowledging who he is and what he has done and what he will do. <laughs> Let's capture all three. Um, past, present, future, who he is, that's worship. And when that happens, he takes the throne. Well, my question is, who was on the throne before? If you take that picture and you look at your circumstances, and why am I getting on about this righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? It's because there are so many circumstances that want to enthrone themselves over your lives. And the way that you combat that, the way the spiritual warfare is done, primarily, in my opinion, is that you worship God and he comes and takes that rightful place enthroned upon your life so that the thing that is now lording over your life is God and nothing else. Worship is the way you dethrone the circumstances and the things that are trying to steal, kill and destroy your life. But it's the hardest thing to do when your circumstances are overwhelming you. Yet, if you can exercise the will that you have to put on your lips who God is, what he has done and what he promises to do and what he will do at the end of days, you will find that the act of worship, the sacrifice, this is a sacrifice, to worship God when everything else tells you not to. When all the circumstances are telling you God's not real, he doesn't care, he has no control over everything, 
You're alone. He's abandoned you. When you can stand there and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet I will praise you. I will worship you. That is true worship. My encouragement to you is to persist and persevere in your pursuit of God, in the Word. Don't neglect it. If you're struggling to connect with Him, confess it. Be honest with Him. This is not a season that is going to be easy as far as I'm concerned. I think we're going to find that there will be a separation that takes place. Those who have lived by tradition and suddenly discover that's all they have. And those who have come to know the Lord and in their faithfulness will discover an increasing hostility toward them simply because they hold the testimony of Jesus. And if we want to be relevant, well, in God's eyes, relevance is reflecting embodying the nature of Christ and bearing witness to his name. The demonstration is in the power of the Holy Spirit to produce righteous peace and joy in you in circumstances that people are looking at they are saying you should not be in that way because the circumstances dictate that you should be worried, stressed, concerned, angry, hostile. You should be vengeful. You should be wanting justice. This is the world's speech. And yet when someone stands and is merciful and gracious and full of joy and peace. It is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And believe me, people can see it. And those that are hungry and looking will be drawn by the light that is in you. Let's finish up. Why don't you pray with me and then we'll give our praise to God. Heavenly Father, it's such a comfort and joy to know that regardless of what's going on, your reign is righteousness, peace and joy. And we can come into that place simply by giving our praises to you, by remembering who you are, by putting on it our lips and declaring the goodness of our God, the providence of our God, the omnipotence of our God the steadfast, ever-loving love of God, that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, O oh Lord. It is so good to know this is who you are. May you give these people today strength in the times where it feels like nothing in them wants to praise you, yet they would put your name on their lips, profess your goodness, declare your glory and you would yet again demonstrate to them your love and your power through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their lives and the peace that transcends all human understanding to come and guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that they would know it is well with their soul because they know you. We bless your name, Lord. Amen.